Good morning, Lake City Community Church. How you doing today? Oh, that was a little better than I was expecting it at 830 service. Let's try that again. How are you guys doing today? Sorry, I'm a youth pastor. I don't need things in front of me. Um, I just want to welcome you guys so much to uh, church this morning. My name is Caleb Heath. I am the youth pastor here at Lake City Community Church. I am super excited to be able to present to you guys God's word in the sermon for this morning. And last week, uh, David Pritchard kicked off our sermon, and he talked about, like, what does Jesus have to say about family? And David did a really good job of really breaking down exactly what does um, God say about family. Um, and he talked about that we have an eternal family, and that's our church family. He also said that uh, our church family um, is also included, obviously, our parental family. And our parental family, God has gifted us and blessed us with the, the opportunity to be the first and best disciplers of um, our children. And that is something we are very passionate and very focused on here at Lake City. For the last five years, there was a shift in uh, the mission statement here when we said, hey, we're not going to kind of do the traditional uh, ministry model. We're going to move more towards this family ministry model. And that's when David Pritchard came on board at that time. Um, I've actually only been here for the last year on staff uh, as the youth pastor, um, but I've been a part of Lake City for a long period of time. I, um, my time with Lake City started about 10 years ago. My wife was a part of the MOPS program. How many moppers do we have in here? That makes it sound like a janitorial service, but how many moppers do we have here? There's one janitorial person here. Okay, thank you, Kathy. All right. So, yeah, my wife and I have been a part of Lake City in some form or fashion for a, for a long period of time, um, but we made Lake City our home five years ago. Um, and uh, since that time, we've served, Rebecca and I have served in Reengage. We've done youth ministry as a volunteer. Uh, we've served in other areas. Uh, but last year, there was, um, David approached me and asked uh, if uh, as Kevin was um, stepping down, if I'd be willing to consider taking on the role of uh, being youth pastor. And at the time, I was serving at Pierce County Juvenile Court, and uh, I was a probation officer for 10 years um, there with the juvenile courts, uh, just serving kids who were high-risk kids. And um, that's a, there's a lot to do with that, and I'm, it's a very much a big piece of my heart is serving those kids. Um, I never want to get too far away from them, and I've maintained a lot of connections. But God has brought us here to serve Lake City and, and uh, to, to kind of be under this umbrella of the, uh, the family equipping ministry. Um, and one of the things that when we're talking about this is, actually one of my first things that I did as a youth pastor was I went on to this conference, this D6 conference. And the theme of the D6 conference was we need to equip parents. You guys know that, you've heard that, you're gonna continue to hear that. And that, but there was also a very staggering statistic that came out of that, um, out of that conference. And it, was, it said that 70% of youth, 7 out of 10 youth that are graduating high school, are not returning to the church. As soon as they leave the home and that umbrella, the safety net of home, they are gone. They are not choosing to retain or maintain a, a, a Christian community. And that was something that really struck me hard because I'm like, when you think about it, these are pictures of our youth within our youth group. And some of you guys are very familiar with some you've seen already up here. But when you start saying seven out of 10 are exiting the church and not returning, that's a huge hole in our, in our church family. 
And some of that is um, one of the one of the follow-up um, Fuller that uh, sorry that seven out of ten was a Barna study, and so Barna is very respectable. It's one that obviously they hold very highly in regards because it's not just pulling ten kids and seeing that seven are gone. It's pulling a large number of kids, and they were pulling evangelical kids, which is kids who prof uh, profess Christianity. That's tough because that's us. And so when we look at this and we see these faces of these kids and we say, hey, wait a minute, seven out of ten, we're going to lose those kids? What's, what's wrong with that picture? There were some re reflections on that of like, well, seven out of ten also say that one of the reasons that they don't come back is they just don't have a positive connection with an adult. They don't have a good connection with church. And I think that that's, a, that's something that we can actually address as a church. It's something, it's Lake City, we, we try really hard to make sure that our kids are connected well with um, other kids. But there's a bigger picture to this. Lake City has done a very good job with uh, developing our kids. We've, we, from an early onset, we put them in mops. Like, we've, we're supporting parent moms with that. We also put them in promised land, agape land. We've got Awana. And Awana, if you guys have ever come on a Wednesday night and seen a, the way Awana operates, Awana is just just popping. There's like 150 kids and every single male adult looks like they're about to lose their hair because it's like, and they, they're going to end up looking like me. You know, they're working with kids. But it's, uh, it's amazing to see. They're getting Bible memory verses uh, memorized and they're trying to like throughout the night, they're trying to come up and get those read to you. They're earning uh, money for dollar stores by their attendance and what they bring. All that stuff is well and good. And then we pass them on to me at the, into the middle school and high school. And, and I love them. I'm excited to be able to serve them. But there's something missing through these, all these programs in this thread. And it's something we have to be very aware of as a church. Is because, well, what are, we're doing everything right. So you can pat yourself on the back and say, hey, we're doing the programs right. But what is missing? Within the Bible, it doesn't really talk about anything about juveniles, adolescents. There is really no... There's no referral to that. There's no indication of like how to or parent a teenager. It's just child and adult. So then when we start looking in scripture, we're like, how do we, how do we kind of pull this out and really cater to teens, which we've, we've identified and said, hey, they look like adults. They don't act like adults. Their brains aren't adult-ish yet. I've got 33-year-old people who aren't adultish yet, you know. It's, it's nothing new that we just, we just don't really know how to interact with them. And so what I'm excited about today is really we need to make this shift. And I want to present this to you guys today that one thing we need to work on is programmings are great. And I'm not here to put down programmings. But from a church family, what we need to start doing is we need to start moving towards the heart. We need to take from the head knowledge down into the heart knowledge where it becomes this transformation. And we see that when, when we're not around these guys are going to start acting and they're going to develop in the ways that we know that we want them to. Because if you, if we pull every single parent in here, who's been a parent and how many of you guys have been parents before? Okay, good. Now I got some crowd participation. We're good. One, one parent did not raise his hand. I'm not really sure. We do have re-engaged for that just so you know. Um, so if you pull every single parent though, that sits usually in a church, their goal for their kid is not success. Like every parent wants success. Every world parent wants success for their kid. They usually would say, hey, I want my kid to be better than I am. But for a Christian, our goal for our kids is we want them to follow Christ. We want them to have a real relationship with him. And I, and I, and I believe that that is the heartbeat of what Lake City is about. And everything that we do is we're saying we're pouring into that. We want our kids to have very real relationships with Christ. Because at some point, we exit the picture and they remain.
And what was great about today is you actually got to see kind of an, a look of what some of these students are doing and how they're stepping up in ways that like it's not, we don't always see. And we'll cover that a little bit more. But to kind of get to this shift, there's one thing that we have to set aside. When we talk about being the primary, um, when we talk about being a parent or, or being a mentor or a disciple to a kid, one of the things that we generally want to do is we want to train kids, right? We want to kind of guide them through things, and we want to walk beside them, and sometimes we want to make decisions for them. But once they turn 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, and they're still under your roof, that challenge becomes that much bigger. All of a sudden, they start tuning you out, and they don't hear you as well. So what do we do? David Pritchard, um, our family's pastor, has talked um, about his legacy path, and we've been working through this. And if you guys have not seen this, I would encourage you, wherever you're at, this does not matter if you are a single person, a prime timer, wherever you are at in life, an empty nester, whatever like acronym or whatever we can come up for you, this still really fits us as a church, is that we are a, an intergenerational church. This is not just a message for people with kids or incoming uh, middle schoolers. This really is for a church-wide message of like, how do we approach our teens? How do we approach our future middle schoolers and high schoolers? One thing that David Pritchard talked about and I loved was, usually parents are really great at training. They're great at putting into their kids and walking them through stuff. But there's at some point, once they tune you out, you need to have somehow retain your influence in them. And he talks about, you need to move to a coaching role. Now, I am a basketball person. Like, I love basketball. If you guys know anything about me, I am more than willing to, during March Madness, I do not work Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday of the opening, opening weekend. I watched 51 hours this last, you know, and you guys, like, it was in my wedding vows. My wife knew it right from the start. This is what I do. I love basketball. I love watching it. I love playing it. But when David Pritchard talked about you need to start coaching it hit an instantaneous connection with me. Because a coach is never, ever in the game. A coach is a person who's actually on the sideline trying to shift and, and, and put people in positions to be successful. And I feel like that is a perfect example of what we should be doing with our teens. We need to put them in position to be successful. And the great thing is, when they're not successful, what does a coach do? At the six, six o'clock service last, last night, someone said that he yells at them. And I was like, hey, that's true. That is true. They do yell at them sometimes. But also they're trying to correct. They're trying to get them to figure out what, what didn't go right at this moment. What can I do so the next time this happens and you're put in this position so you can be successful at that moment? So there's a shift of saying, hey, how do I coach my kid? And we still have to deal with consequences. We need, still need to parent. I'm not saying that exits. What I am saying, though, is the perspective needs to change so we can encapture their hearts so that they move more towards, this is what I'm supposed to do. Because at some point, the coach just sets back. He sits on the bench. He drinks his Gatorade, and he watches the game played. I get to see at that moment how teens react, to see how they're doing in those situations. And then I get to check in with them. And so today when we talk about this and we're going to move through, I'm going to give you uh, four different ways to pursue the hearts of our teens. I want you guys to just picture this through the eyes of coaching them, okay? Um, and so here we go. You guys ready? All right, three people are ready. Let's go. Uh, the other 97%, we'll, uh, you guys can just come along. So the first thing that we need to do is we need to pursue with prayer. 
Now, this is something that actually was covered last week in, uh, in Pastor David's sermon. And it's something that we need to make sure that we maintain in our families and as a, in our roles as uh, mentors, parents, that kind of um, whatever role we have with teenagers. And the reason for this is, well, let me read James 5.16. It says, the prayer of a righteous person, or in a different version, it says a fervent person, has great power in its working. Now, you guys may have seen, there was a picture of me, actually, that, that, um, that came up at the very end. It was a person, actually, it was me with checkerboard hair. It was very brief. It was on purpose that it was brief. And I'm not going to have her pull it back up again. But you need to understand something. Prayer is such an essential part of how we parent or how we're going to coach our kids. First of all, it needs to be our first reaction. It needs to be our first response. It needs to be our first in everything we do. If someone comes up to you and is asking for advice, great. You should be thankful that they are asking you for advice. But your first response should always be, have you prayed about it? Have you sought God in, in your decision on this? Because guess what? As good as I am, I have too much personal bias sometimes in what I say. I want to point people back to who Christ is because I know he holds the answer. I know he can give directions and he can give wisdom in situations that, that really need his working and not my own personal working. So if you have any problem, if you're experiencing anything, prayer needs to be the first, second, and third response. And then if, if you still feel like you're failing, go pray again. We are a prayerful church, and I'm excited to be a part of this because we really do spend a lot of time here at Lake City demonstrating that and putting that into practice. We do it through the concert of prayer. We spend five different sessions um, prior to, uh, prior to uh, Christmas and Easter where we are praying for the lost as those new people are coming in. We also just uh, uh, concluded a campaign where we did the hashtag LC3 prayer. Um, and that's, I'm actually wearing my band right now, and it's the 752. And if you guys are still, that concluded, but I hope that you actually continue doing that because it's talking about prayer, spending seven days praying for your family, five days with your spouse, two days with your kids. Those are just great practices to have. It's one of our spiritual disciplines, but it's one that's so easily overlooked. It's not one that we actually practice very well sometimes. I was able to, um, at that D6 conference, one of the cool things was I got to go with Pastor Jim. He was a part of that. And I was really um, challenged would be the best way to put it. To see him separate from our group quite often and take his little, uh, he takes his, um, oh man, I'm spacing on the thing right now. He takes his directory with him and he prays over our church congregation. And he does this constantly. He just separate, and you just see him walking. And you know, and and you, I knew it wasn't for his Fitbit because he doesn't wear one. He wasn't trying to get steps in. He was just constantly trying to pray, and pray over people. Um, and so, I would encourage that should be our first response in in uh, when we deal with uh, with pursuing our our kids. The second piece to that though is we need to understand in Ephesians six twelve it says, "For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces in the heavenly places." A majority of our battles aren't happening right in front of you because of your kid. It's easy to put it on them because we get frustrated with them and we see the behavior right in front of us. But recognizing that there is another battle that's happening behind them that's pushing them towards it is something that you need to stop, pause, and why you need to pray. Now, you guys, um, 
I want to go back real quick to the picture of me with dyed hair. I had dyed checkered hair. That's the way I exited high school. I was going to a Bible college in the middle of Kansas, and that's the way that I showed up. I had a broken wrist, and I was, um, go- actually, I was going on a basketball scholarship, but I showed up in the middle of this Bible belt, like really small school with checkerboard hair and a bro- broken wrist. And my mom, my, and at that time, I was very much, um, I was a very active Christian in walking, and I just liked to do really crazy things. But my mom used to talk to me, I'm just praying for you all the time. And I'm like, Mom, you must be so stressed out. And sure enough, she got gray hair, like, because of me. My older brother was so nice and compliant. But because of me, she got gray hair. And, uh, but she was like, I'm just praying for you all the time. And I loved how my mom would check in with me. And she would say, how else can I pray for you other than maybe that you'll cut your hair off? <laughs> like, that's in her own way. And I knew that my mom loved me. I knew that she, she cared enough to say, I'm going to spend time focusing on you. Have that same uh, passion in uh, pursuing a prayer with your kids. The second thing is pursuing great communication. I love this. I love this because communication early on is, is so easy with our kids, right? They will tell us anything and everything. They, they do not hold anything back. There is no filter and no buffer on anything that they say. But for some reason, there becomes a shift where... In, and I wish I had this picture. I saw this picture on the internet um, one time about like a parent who, whose kid was over communicating. And the only place that they could find solace was in the bathroom. And, and the picture was like the kid on the other side of the room, like bam, 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 mom, mom, mom. And all they wanted was like, they just wanted something. And mom has just like got her hands in her head and like, I don't want anything but peace and quiet. For some reason, that picture shifts. And our teenagers, like, they all of a sudden, they become the person in the bathroom. And we're the parent on the other side. Just tell me what's going on. Just tell me. I want to know. And it's so, like, that picture is, and, and for some reason, like, it, that communication piece doesn't change at all. Because when they walk in from school and they slam their books down and they're like, they, they don't, they want to, you, uh, you ask them a question, well, how was school? And what's their answer? You guys know it. Yes, fine. What does fine mean? It means fine. No, it doesn't. It's the most vanilla answer. It doesn't really answer a question. It's like saying it is what it is. Okay? Pursue good communication. So Proverbs 25 says, The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. Oh, man. Communication is incredibly difficult when we're talking about teenagers. And they're trying to tell you something all the time. Even in their silence, they're trying to tell you something. And when we talk, when, uh, when parents and people who are mentoring, discipling, if you're working with teens, I don't care who you are, learn to listen. I would say that's your first step when you, after, after you pray. Just learn to listen. Create opportunities, too, to be able to hear what they want to say. And that doesn't always happen on your terms. It has to happen on their terms. Um, and uh, one, one good thing that I've seen done is um, for this, for pursuing really good communications is, is doing one-on-one times, just taking your kid out. And I know that can be challenging if you have more than, you know, two or three kids, but still carve out time specifically for them to check out, check in with your kid. But also be prepared. There's a big lesson in this. Be prepared to get rejected. 
And that's not easy because when we put ourselves out there, we always forget that like they still are a young adult and they may not want to communicate or what is going on inside of them. They may not want to open the doors and let you in. But make yourself available and be okay with being rejected. Don't take it personally because at some point in time, the circle will come back around and you'll be able to actually have that conversation. It brings me to my next point because... um, it says uh, on, on the third one, it says, pursue with compassion. Now, um, Psalms 103.3 says, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Compassion is a sympathetic pity and concern for the sufferings of others. It will motivate us to help us. Other words include empathy, fellow feelings. I love that. I don't even know where they came up with it. I've never heard that in a sentence, but fellow feelings. like it. Sensitivity, warmth, and love compassion. If we step forward and we make compassionate moves towards our, our students, we're going to see their hearts soften. And you kind of wonder, like, wait a minute, what does that look like? Well, first of all, Jesus actually speaks on that in one of his parables. In Luke 15, 20, you see the parable of the prodigal son, one of my favorite parables. And I think it's one that really resonates with us as parents or as people who deal with young people. Because first of all, within that story, you see someone who makes a really, really dumb choice. And how many of you guys have ever made a dumb choice? How many of you guys are lying? Thank you. How many of you are not listening? Okay, so uh, what I love, though, about this is we all can connect at saying we, at some point in time, we have made a bad choice. And we see that in the story of the, of the son who, who asks his father and says, hey, I want my share of the inheritance. And he's got everything. He's going to get, he's going to be well off, but he wants to follow the desires of his hearts of going, doing other things. The father says, okay. Okay. And he gives it to him, knowing full well probably what is about to happen. And sure enough, he goes off. He spends the money unwisely. It isn't like he goes and invests. He doesn't go and invest in barbecue and vans, which is exactly what I would have done if my dad gave me his inheritance. I would have had like eight barbecues and two vans. Um, I'd have been good. But he didn't do that. He just, he ended up spending it even more unwisely than I would have, okay? And it landed him in the pit. He, it landed him in the pigsty where he was feeding pigs and ultimately he was eating their food because he didn't have anything. And he's sitting there in the worst case possible and he reflects on the fact that, hey, in my father's house, they have it better. I can go there and be a servant and be treated much better than I am now if I can just go and make it right with him. And I want to pick up the story on uh, Luke 15, 20. And this is how Jesus uh, told it to his, um, to his followers. And he said, and this is uh, starting off with the, uh, the prodigal son. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was a still a long ways off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. I love that picture. There's a difference in parenting right then and there because most dads would have stayed on the porch and allowed their dad, their son to come to them. Because within our own, our own thought process, it's our pride of saying, hey, he needs to make this right. I'm not the one, I gave him the opportunity. But if we're going to guide and direct and we're going to support the hearts of our, our kids, we're going to model this to them and I'm going to be the first person to go to him. And he, the father was looking for him. And when he saw him, he booked it. That's the picture of compassion that we need to have when we talk about pursuing the hearts of our kids. 
Because when they do mess up, and let me reflect, rephrase that, when they do mess up, we need to go to them when, they're, when that opportunity comes. Our Heavenly Father did the same thing for us. While we were still sinners, he sent his son. The last point that I have with you is pursue with love. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's our church. That is our, our call. Not our call. That is our, that's who we are. That's why we got to, we got to celebrate two weeks ago and, uh, and be th- excited that, that uh, the son was raised from the dead. Our sins were atoned. But this verse doesn't end here. Ephesians 5 says, 525, it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. It doesn't end there because all of a sudden we're supposed to practice that same love that God gave us. We're supposed to practice that love within our families and with those who work, we uh, work with. First Peter 4, 8 says, Above all else, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sin. ages 11 to 18. Whenever this starts, when kids start to pull away and they want to form their new identity, there's still this consistent theme that has to be heard for them. And it's a lot of it is what they do. It's why they do what they do. So what you guys are going to see behind me are pictures of um, people in our church who are volu- you know, just uh, volunteering with, uh, with our teens or just parents. But this is the, the, the American Sign Language for I Love You. Not spoken. This is shown. This is demonstrated. This is exactly what needs to happen when we talk about pursuing the hearts of our kids is we need to continue this message of, I love you. I love you no matter what. I love you. It is not a conditional love. I will always love you. I will be the first person off the porch coming to you. I will be the first person to be praying for you. I will be the first person trying to make sure that I have good communication, that there's nothing in between us. Because what we, what we see ultimately in our teens right now, and I, this is for our church-wide, is what we see is they still are really looking for love. And they are willing to do it, and they're looking for acceptance, and they're willing to do it in so many different ways. Um, you know, there is... I mean, if you ever see a kid with a phone pointed at their own face, like selfies, right? Like they really are tied to this fact that like, I want to be loved and liked. They're tied to that. They want it. They're putting themselves out there and they, and they're still doing that within our homes. They still want to be loved by you. They may push you away. They may show it in really odd ways, but there's still this core of them that still want to be loved. And it is important for us as a church, as a church family, that we still send that message that we love you that we're going to go after you, that we're going to be consistent in that. And so as I close, the one thing I would ask you today, Pastor David talked about counting the cost last week. You have to count the cost when, when we talk about our faith. But when is, are our students worth it? Are middle schoolers and high, schools, high schoolers worth it? Are our sons and daughters, are they worth it? 
And I know that the answer, the easy answer is yes. But I want to reflect on something real quick with you guys. When we look at our teens, do you actually really see, I mean, you saw today, you saw four or five of them up here singing and worshiping and doing an amazing job. And I really hope that you guys take time to tell them that. But also there are other kids, and I'm going to make sure that I read this because I, want to, I really want to highlight some stuff. Do you know that within just this church, and that's really what I want to highlight is just this church, that there are teenagers who are leading after-school clubs for Jesus. Those after-school clubs are doing um, outreach events for Jesus and trying to draw new people into the faith. There's also, there, um, there are uh, teenagers, there is a, there's juniors and high schoolers who are, willing, who are willing to serve a leader who needs a couple hours of sleep with a newborn baby. So they'll go over and just give them a break, hold that kid just so mom can get some rest. Two weeks ago, we had students who participated in the Sit One, Serve One program. We had 33 kids participate in that. And we knew that we were expecting large amounts of, uh, of participants and people coming to church. And we had kids being able to say, hey, I'll fill in. I will show up and I will give some of my time to make sure that Promised Land, Agape Land, uh, greeters, our make, uh, security team, worship, um, I'm making sure that they've got a full crew so we can make sure we serve Lake City. We also have teens who are socially conscious, who serve on the city council, who lead at the Boys and Girls Club. We have teens who are also going on a mission trip at the end of June. We have 17 of them who are going to Montana to serve the Native Americans there. We also have one that's going to Malawi um, at the end of June as well with the, um, that's going to help kind of deliver the container that was over here. Um, our teens participated in making sure that that container got filled and also to be stuffed. Um, But do you see them as brothers and sisters in your faith? Or do you just see them as teenagers and want to push them off to the side? Because if we draw them in and we say, hey, you're part of our family, we're going to start seeing that number from 70%. It will drop drastically. Don't get caught up on the number, though. Because 70% is, is a number and it's easy to gloss over. But when we start putting numbers to faces... And we had those faces running through of our teens that are in our, um, and we're serving well over on our Wednesday and Saturday nights. We're serving over 100 kids between those. Are we saying, are we okay with them being gone? And I don't want to put names out there because I haven't asked people, but we saw some of those. Are we willing to give those teens up for, without giving a, a, a good effort on that? And I can tell you right now, I'm not. I'm not willing to give those teens up. And I don't think that as a church family, we should ever be willing to walk over and say, hey, I'm not either. Because they, not only are they the future, but you can hear that they're currently very much active participants in our church and doing an amazing job. And so when we talk about just closing down tonight or closing out this morning, I, there is no next steps. There isn't. And there's tons of things that can be done, and I could present those to you, and I would love to sit down and have coffee with you and, and say, hey, we need, we need people to serve. We need people, we're, I mean, we need volunteers. We need people to cook food. I mean, these kids are ravenous. They're, uh, man, they're crazy. They're always hungry. Um, we need people who are willing to serve food. We need people just to pray for our teens. Um, you know, just, we need people to mentor them. We need, so if you're a, if you're a, um, empty nest or prime time or whatever, or a single person, whatever. We need people who are willing to just invest in them. Go meet them for coffee or 
french fries or something really unhealthy. Um, yeah, like, but go do that. Those are things that need to be done. And the Lord will lead you. But as we, as we close out today and as I, I say a closing prayer is don't let this wash over you and, and, and just end. But believe that as, as a family equipping church that we still have a job to do with these kids and, and that 70% is a number that's way too high. 10% is way too high. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for this morning. Lord, I appreciate just the message. And, and Lord, as we are um, actively pursuing the hearts of our teens, Lord, may you um, continue to do a great work within us. May this not be um, one selfishly that we, we think about, but one of we look at and have a hungry heart for. Lord, I just love you. I just thank you for just the, uh, the work at Lake City. And as we look forward to the many different things that are happening, may we just continue to be good stewards of um, what you've given us. In your name, amen.